Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We welcome you and we welcome uh, anyone that's participating in Zoom. And uh, if uh, you were wondering about the Zoom and maybe people want to Zoom with us from a different state or whatever... Uh, you can go to the New Beginnings page and under Ministries, find Torah Study and click the Torah Study icon and within that is the link. You kind of got to be a surfer, (laughs) surf the internet to find that. Ministries, Torah Study page and then there's a link uh, that'll connect you via Zoom. So, praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. If you got the victory, say amen. amen. Praise God. So, yep, we're in Torah study number one in Genesis 1 uh, this week. And uh, the, uh, it's the beginning of the, the, the new yearly Torah cycle. Uh, and we're... Uh, we're not going to get into the study of creation this time around, but uh, let me share this just quickly, is that one of the reasons that uh, God includes creation at the beginning is like many of the rabbis say, well, since this is pretty much a law book, Right, And it teaches us how to set up society, how to govern society, how to govern an individual life or a, a national life. Here's the book that you use, the instruction manual. Why didn't God start with revealing all the legislation? That, because He started with creation to establish that there's a Creator. Yeah, man, secular man hates that thought. <laughs> and uh, uh, but God is the creator of the universe. This is our Father's world, Amen. And it counters the theory of evolution, which is trying to explain man's existence without God. I've tried that. <laughs> I've tried to live my life without God, and. Uh, I know this isn't breaking news, but uh, all of us would agree it don't work very good. You might have some ups, but you usually have more downs than ups. Uh, But uh, uh, most scientists want there to be existence with no God. Because if there is no God, then the Bible can't be true. And the standards of the Bible can't be true. God's plan for uh, repentance and forgiveness of sin and redemption can't be true. And everything that goes along with that can't be true. And thus we can do what's right in our own eyes. And... Right now you look around and it's like people are pretty much living life on their own terms. They're inventing lifestyles, right? And it's like, 
Man, it's weird. We bind the weirdness and release God's presence. But, you know, to be fair, uh, we do want to say this to all of our atheist friends. Uh, Christians do believe in the Big Bang Theory. Yeah? Our big God spoke and bang, the world came into existence. (laughs) The Big Bang Theory, Christian style. Praise God. Another reason that God includes creation uh, in the Bible uh, is if He desires to choose the Jewish people as the apple of His eye, that's His prerogative. Yeah. Uh, If He chooses to give the land of Israel to Abraham and all His descendants forever and ever and ever and ever... Uh, let it be done according to your word, Lord, let it be done. And so those who stand against Israel, uh, accuse them of being occupiers, uh, that they've stolen the land in some way, uh, they're actually standing against God Himself. And as we know in Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless those that bless Abraham and all that he represents. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you and me. Uh, You're standing against God. And basically, you're going to curse yourself. You're not going to succeed. You might think you're getting away with things because God is patient and long-suffering, and it's not His plan that any should perish. He wants to give everyone ample time to come to their senses, but when the clock runs out on your opportunity and you squandered it, look out. That's when a loving God uh, puts, takes off His loving and gracious hat and puts on His judge's hat. And as Flip Wilson once said, Here come to judge. Here come to judge. Everybody know that here come to judge. Remember, remember that show? you, you got to be a certain age, I guess, to remember Flip Wilson. One of the deeper truths on creation comes from a famous Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Soloviec. And he wrote the most fundamental... There's Ty. We've been wondering about you. God love you. God bless you. Welcome back, Cotter. But the rabbi wrote the most fundamental principle of all is that man must create himself. The God of creation who created you and I has pretty much given us a blank slate. And if we'll go into the Bible and realize what God is saying about His creation, I can do everything the Bible says I can do. I can become everything the Bible says I can become. I can accomplish great things. I can have vision. I can fulfill a divine purpose. And on and on and on. I mean, what a life! I wish more churches would build that kind of creative power and expression in how they present things. Look, I I know how bad it is to be a sinner. I don't need to come to church every Sunday and be reminded how bad I was when I, I, I know I was bad. 
And it wasn't that, uh, you know, going to hell. I was living in hell. And I needed to understand God's plan for success, God's plan uh, for my life so that I could be fulfilled and have that sense of uh, fulfillment and reward and blessing and on and on and on. So, um, the deeper truth of creation is we need to create ourselves. Or in this sense, we need to recreate ourselves. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Right? And if you think about it, it's this idea that the rabbi is talking about. Uh, This is what Judeo, Jewish Christianity, introduced to the world way back when Egypt was the superpower and uh, you didn't care. Isn't it amazing that after, you know, uh, 3,500 years or so, we're still seeing societies, uh, rulers, leaders that want to cancel everything that God is doing and they want to put themselves on the pearly, uh, on the ivory throne and they want to make rules so that you're the insignificant one. We're the haves, you're the have nots. And so, God says, no, you know, where does all men uh, are created equal come from? The Bible. Yeah, and so we may, America may not have uh, been very good at getting all of that in order so everyone can live that out, uh, but try any other society and see how far they've come compared to how far America has come. That's why millions are trying to come to America. Yeah, they're not trying to come to Canada. Oh, Canada! We love Canada, but they're turning into, you know, some weird people, the government anyway. The people are saying, man, don't do this to us. And, and the little uh, uh, Castro there, they call him. <laughs> he's, he's got other plans. So before we get into, and a little bit later, I want to give you five things you can do to create a powerful spiritual life. Uh, I just want to uh, remind everybody that when we come together in Torah study, what we're trying to do is unite uh, Old Testament wisdom with New Testament revelation. Okay? It's, it's fascinating that... Uh, one, one of the authors that I like to read uh, is Dr. John Garr. Uh, he has a ministry uh, down in Atlanta, uh, a Judeo-Christian type ministry. He's written some phenomenal books on explaining Judeo-Christianity. And uh, he, he wrote in a brilliant book called Christian Fruit, Jewish Root. Uh, that if there's one page in our Bibles that should be considered uninspired, there is one page that should be considered uninspired, and that's the page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. Because God never meant for there to be a separation. In fact, the whole plan of God for 6,000 years for mankind is bringing Jews and Christians together. 
That's the prophecy in Ephesians 2 that one day we'll be one new man. Jews and Christians together with the Messiah as the linking cornerstone. So, what this means is that what we call the Old Testament uh, is really just one big covenant that God continues to reveal and it's the Bible, the Old Testament is the Bible of Jesus and the Apostles. What Bible did Jesus use? What Bible did the Apostles use? So both the Hebrew Scriptures from Moses and the Prophets and the Apostolic Scriptures from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and from Paul, all of it contains Bible revelation. God's revelation, God's truth, God's wisdom. Amen? And if you want to walk in a level of wisdom with spiritual vision, fulfilling your divine purpose, you need to understand the full gospel from Genesis to Revelation. And so that's what we do here. We try to uh, find a way to harmonize everything. Now, sometimes uh, uh, the, I'm a New Testament guy. I, that's what I always would say way back when. I don't need the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament guy. You know, and obviously we love and value the New Testament. But now we're learning, I've learned, you probably grew up like this, I didn't, uh, is that God's wisdom and His divine principles in the Old Testament have great value too. This is what Paul is describing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says God has transmitted His very substance into every Scripture. Not just the New Testament, but every Scripture. For it is God-breathed. So every Scripture that we study has the breath of God in it, and as we study it like we're doing, and as we're learning it as we're learning, all of a sudden that uh, Logos word, the written word, becomes Rhema word. A word alive. A revelation word. And especially in areas that uh, you might not be overcoming in yet. Right? We're all in the process of becoming more of an overcomer. We might be a little overcomer, a 98-pound overcomer, but one day you're going to be a spiritual MMA fighter. (laughs) I guess Pastor Bruno did something like that. You have to, when you see Pastor Bruno, ask him. I heard tale that maybe uh, uh, in, in your past you were some kind of MMA type guy. Yeah, tell me more about that, Pastor Bruno. I'm going to ask you because I just found out. So I can't wait to ask him. So anyways, God's Word will empower you by its instruction and correction. Okay? It'll give you strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you'll be God's servant, fully mature, perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Yeah, 
That's what we're aiming for, folks, right? And so it definitely is one of those rinse and repeat processes. Did you know that the root word for Torah is yara, and it's an archery term? Did you know that? And it means to shoot straight, to hit the mark. And then we get into, by extension, to teach, instruct, or the Torah is a teacher. So what we have when we come to Torah study is we have... uh, God, by the power of His Word and His Holy Spirit, aiming us to hit the right targets in life. A lot of Christian frustration is we're trying to do things that maybe God didn't call us to do. In a general sense, we're all called to wonderful, awesome, positive things. Uh, But, you know, if you're trying to be Billy Graham... And uh, you're doing everything in your power to be Billy Graham. Maybe that's not God's call on your life. And God will, uh, the more you study and learn, it's a living word, uh, God will organize your life and your priorities and help you sort through agendas so that you're on the right path. And that will lead to more happiness. So, how many of you are all for God aiming you? Me too. So, there's, there's a lot more that we can uh, get into, uh, but in uh, these Torah studies, just as kind of an informational thing, if you go to Ezra 7.10, you've never been in the book of Ezra in your life, have you? <laughs> That's the book of the Bible where our pages are all stuck together. <laughs> But Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back uh, to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem after being in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And they, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, Malachi, many called together uh, 120 of the elders in what's known as the Great Assembly. And one of the things, this is where Malachi comes from. What do we have to do to keep uh, from our enemies from defeating us? Return to me, our, we know that part of it. But it was at this great assembly uh, that Ezra uh, led an effort to create what we call the parasha, the Torah portion that we study to this day. Every synagogue studies on a weekly basis one of 54 Torah portions plus the holiday readings. And sometimes the portions get uh, combined and, and so on and so forth. But in Ezra 7.10 it says, Ezra set his heart on studying and practicing the Torah of Adonai and teaching Israel the laws and rulings. And it's out of that scripture... Ezra 7.10, that uh, ancient Jewish wisdom teaches, this is where they put together the weekly Torah study. So, God bless Ezra. Ezra's in heaven, I guarantee it. And one day when we're walking the streets of gold, we'll be able to go up to Ezra and ask him all about stuff like this. What, what, what did you eat that day that led you to... <laughs> he'll probably say, I wasn't eating that day. I was fasting and seeking God and bam! 
So praise be to God. So um, every Wednesday night during October, we've gotten together. We have one more Wednesday night. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Some of you uh, here have been attending, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. But we've been uh, meeting, and our last meeting is this Wednesday, to study our American heritage uh, from, you know, the famous Christian historian that I learned over the weekend is hated by many. <laughs> it seems like Google ranks all the, the websites of people that hate David Barton first on the, on the first few pages. Let's make sure that everyone that hates David Barton is noticed first. <laughs> I wonder if Google has a strategy there. <laughs> but uh, uh, these studies uh, have helped me appreciate the Founding Fathers' vision for America. And it reminds me uh, of honoring our Jewish roots, just as our nation needs to go back and realize what was the Founding Fathers' vision. That's what Torah study is all about. What are the origins of our Christian faith? They spring out of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, or in Greek, what's called the Pentateuch. Uh, but uh, it, it, as I was uh, just going through a bunch of things over the weekend... I realized uh, that we need to have a revival of hunger and thirst for the things of God and for studying the Bible. You guys have that hunger. There's no way you're getting up before the sun, before the birds, (laughs) and get ready and drive all the way in to be in a Torah study. Uh, So you've got it. Amen. Uh, but many don't. And it's affecting, it affected Israel, it's affecting America in our ability to be one nation under God. How do we preserve that? We preserve that by honoring the Bible and studying the Bible beyond just, I know, John 3.16. You know, God bless someone, if that's all they know is John 3.16, that'll be enough to get you into heaven. The thief on the cross, all he had was John 3.16. I was watching a little bit of Ben-Hur yesterday with Charlton Heston at the very end when he interacts with Jesus carrying the cross. And, and it just was such an a, a inspiration to me to be reminded of all the things that Jesus went through to pay for my uh, rights to be able to live this out successfully. And in the same way with our American heritage. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into uh, preserving our freedom so that we can gather together and still say, even though some governors didn't want us to think that church was essential. You know, it's just amazing that during the pandemic, you saw that we churches can't meet. Casinos can meet, but churches can't meet. The virus only comes to churches. It doesn't come to casinos, according to secular people. So, 
but how do we get to that point? And in the research that uh, David Barton has done along with George Barna, he's kind of like the Christian George Gallup, uh, uh, they discovered that America's losing our religion. Uh, they point out that 176 million Americans claim to be Christian. 176 million. That's 69% of the population. Yet, according to their research and studies, only 6% of U.S. adults possess a biblical worldview. Yeah, imagine uh, what when they discover this kind of stuff. They're interviewing people and asking questions, and they realize, man, for as many people that say they're Christians, and not very many of them believe what the Bible says. They discovered only 14% of Christians read the Bible. Yeah, that's a... Only 9% we have that uh, uh, worldview, the biblical worldview. And what this means is, as a culture, as a society, as a nation, we're not thinking biblically, even though we're going to church. Even though we're surveyed, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't think biblically. We're not looking at life as a nation anymore through a Bible lens. That the decisions that I'm making about raising a family, about my priorities, about priorities with money and time, how I'm using my life, we're not thinking about that anymore through a biblical lens. The church has become secular. We're supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. means we need to know more than what we know. And George Barna wrote in one of the articles uh, that a biblical worldview is important because it's the way of experiencing, interpreting, and responding to reality that's consistent with biblical perspectives. Okay? So he says, and this was a different study, we as a nation, uh, or maybe it was the same study, seven out of ten adults call themselves Christian, but only six adults out of 100 try to think like Jesus thinks. We can wear the WWJD, but it, it really not having any impact. It's on our wrist, but it's not in our heart. So what do you, you know, we need some gap insurance, <laughs> right? Now this is crazy. Millennials, the, this group ages 18 through 36, they're more likely than any other generation to reject Bible values. So they're the next generation coming that are going to take over running corporate America and running the government and so on and so forth. But uh, they're rejecting the biblical worldview that you and I have. Yeah. 
he pointed to a different study that only 2% of U.S. parents with children under the age of 13 have a biblical worldview. 2% of parents with kids 13 and under have a... That means 98% of parents don't have a worldview that believes that the Bible is God's Word, the supreme authority, and all the principles are in the Bible are above everything else. And so why does that matter? Because parents aren't... Parents can't give what they don't have. Okay? And if 98 out of 100 don't have a biblical worldview, then the kids won't. And that's why all of a sudden, when parents uh, were home for the pandemic, and they're watching their kids go to electronic school via Zoom, and they're here, what, what did I just hear? Huh? What are you teaching my son and my daughter? And it was shocking. Because even parents without really a biblical worldview know that they're not 93 genders. <laughs> Breaking news world, there's not 98 genders. You can't just keep adding letters to LBGTQRSTUVWXYZ. Get this, of 1,000 pastors surveyed, they found that just 37% of Christian pastors in the USA have a biblical worldview. What's happening is that it's like that, uh, what you shared, Lydia, on Wednesday night. The return of the gods, small g. Things are seeping into the church and we're becoming a social club. And we're adopting modern social. I, like I, a, a famous pastor in Seattle uh, who I've been to that church. Uh, we were, raised, we were uh, born again in Seattle back in the uh, 80s, 1984. And... Uh, during a lot of the insanity that was going on the last couple years uh, uh, it, on the streets, the lawlessness, the defund the police, the this, the that, uh, uh, some pastors were uh, becoming lawless in their preaching in that uh, we're going to support Marxist-type theology. Uh and I'm thinking, so I started looking around people's social media, and a famous pastor uh, uh, said on his uh, social media page, we don't have to preach repentance any longer. And I, I looked at I'm thinking, what the Sam Hill is this? You're, you're a megachurch pastor, and you're putting that out that we don't have to preach repentance. The gospel, if you just study, the, it'll take care of itself. And I'm thinking, no. How are they going to believe? How are they going to change? How are they going to transform if they don't know the differences between right and wrong? 
And people have it in their hearts. I mean, Romans 1 says that God puts things in your heart. You just kind of know. And you reject your conscience. And you end up doing weird things. But uh, 37% have a worldview, which means 63% uh, a biblical worldview. 63% don't. They're just a, a mixture of philosophy. And uh, then I found the study when uh, David Barton was here with us a couple years ago. He cited this, and I found it again. They did a, a, a survey of 384,000 churches. That's a lot of work to get a hold of 384,000 churches and senior pastors. And their conclusion was less than 3% of all pastors in America that were surveyed uh, are willing to preach biblical truth. They had a whole list of criteria. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? And, uh, and it's just shocking. In fact, out of that, 72, 000, 72% of churches and senior pastors actually do not agree with the Bible. That if my worldview comes in conflict with the biblical worldview then my view supersedes, overrides the Bible view. And that's where parents are at, right? So, you know, out of this, we're starting a new Torah uh, cycle. We need to consider, you know, as we begin, how valuable the Bible is to us. What does it really mean to be born again? What does that what does born again mean? Right? It's a spiritual rebirth. You're born again out of the kingdom of darkness, out of this natural world, into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of the Bible, into the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the rules, the guidelines, the standards, the vision, the expectations uh, for our lives, our priorities spring out of what He says, not what I feel or what was taught in, uh, at Harvard. A Harvard professor, or you know, it could be University of Texas, or all these. Those professors may have some good things, but their their philosophy isn't meant to rule your life and dominate your decision making. Peter said in First Peter one twenty three, "You've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end." Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. You've been born, reborn of an incorruptible seed called the Word of the living God. That's in you. When you, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of every sin. I repent. I turn to you now and, and pledge my life to you. That's what being born again is all about. 
You're in the family of God now. You take on God's divine nature. And you're living to incorporate His divine attributes, His divine principles. This is when we go through the Torah study. We're trying to get in there and realize that the Christian myth that the Old Testament is nothing but legalism is false teaching. That's the gospel too. Hebrews 4.2 says the gospel was preached to the Israelites just like it's being preached to you right now. Genesis is the gospel. Exodus is the gospel. And on and on and on. And out of that comes the divine principles and the divine purpose for living. And we understand these are God's standards. And this is how I'm learning to order my life. And that can be a scary thing. It's the truth. Does the truth hurt? Do you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. (laughs) But all of that happens because we partner with the Word. The Word is Old Testament, new to all Scripture, inspired God breathed. And this is what John was teaching in John 1.1. In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you have a relationship with God, it's because you have a relationship with the Word. And if only, you know, uh, 14 out of 100 Christians are studying their Bible... Or we're going to a church where the pastor's worldview isn't really about the Bible after all, and God's standards and God's message. It's really about other things. Philosophy. We can see why one nation under God is being threatened. John 1.1 echoes Genesis 1.1. Yeah? And God said, let there be light. It wasn't until day four that He created the sun. So what light did He create on day one? Spiritual light. Spiritual vision. The light of the Messiah. And all that that represents. Let there be light in our lives. Spiritual light. Yeah? That's what leads to success. And... Sometimes people get flustered because why isn't all the things that the preacher's preaching about, all the promises of abundant life, why isn't all this manifesting? Because it took you 17 years to get in the mess you got. (laughs) Or whatever the length of time was. For me, it was about 17 years, right? From seventh grade to age 30, I was a mess. Yeah? And so it takes a while to unwind all that stinking thinking. To unwind that cat's cradle that you created making your own decisions. And that's why people backslide and leave the church. Because once you start getting in there and the Word of God starts working, and uh, th- then the devil comes and, and, and tries to pull you away from all of that and make you flustered and frustrated and ah, just forget it. It's just too much work. Yep. We're going to hit the right marks in life. 
We'll make our share of mistakes along the way. Honey, don't say amen. But our heart is, we're going for this thing. All the things that happened way back when, I'm not going to live my life in the rear view mirror. I'm going to study the Word of God, stay focused on my future, focused on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on the problems. Those things will get themselves worked out. All things work together for good. They will work it out. The Beatles were right on that one. We can work it out. You and God can work it out. But what if it takes a year to make that volatile emotion subside and you're living more in peace than flying off the handle? Yeah, it might take a year or two. But, you know, what else are you going to do? You're going to go back? Baby, come back! That's what the devil's singing. Baby, come back! Hug the toilet seat again! Have your car repossessed again! Or, you know, a thousand and one things, right? So I believe that as we begin the new year it's a a new year on God's calendar there's a biblical calendar the problems that you and I have been facing are about to be solved right because we're pressing in and God's wisdom his counsel his Holy Spirit his promises in the word are going to manifest this year like never before If you sense there's a resistance in the force, obstacles to your breakthrough, you're about to overcome some things this year. God's about to give you some new vision, some new goals, some new desires. Amen? We're in Genesis 1, creation. God wants you to create, recreate yourself. So look for a flow of creative genius to start touching you. And suddenly you'll look at issues or problems, financial, health, family, relationships, and you'll realize this is the answer. And then God will give you the strength and the courage to walk that answer out. Revelation is coming. Inspiration is coming. Come on. And your determination in your spirit is is coming. It's flowing like a river. Let's go down to the river, down to the river. So, in the last few minutes, here's five things to create a powerful spiritual life. Everybody wants that. You want to be powerful, overcomer, where you know greater is He that's in me. You know I can do all things through Jesus. You know that every blood-bought promise is yes and amen. That it's my Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. And on and on and on. So the first thing is develop a prosperous soul based on the promises of God. Okay? Develop a prosperous soul. We all uh, have been doing that, but there's more to do. No one can stand before God and say, I already learned all that, don't need it. Right? There's always something more that we can do. And the main thing is, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, thinks in the inner person, so they are. 
If you think you can, if you think you can't, you're right. Because you control that. When you got born again, instantly your spirit changed. But when you got born again, your soul didn't instantly change. All those negative emotions, all that stinking thinking, all those vain philosophies just don't disappear. They're not erased. They keep popping back up. That's why you hear about phrases in the Bible about mortifying the flesh. So that all those old things are cemented in concrete. You need to give all that bad stuff uh, cement shoes and throw them into the depths of the sea. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you are prospering in every way and that you continually enjoy health just as your soul prospers. You see the, what God's saying there. Yeah, once you get your thinking sorted out, and that could take a couple years. If you just depends on how deep you are in it. If you, if you were up to your ankles, oh, there's still work to do. But how many of us were up to our eyeballs? <laughs> yeah. Number two, read, read, read. Read, read, read. Read, read, read and study the Bible and your field of interest. What's God stirring in you? Become an expert at it. But mainly it's the Bible because that's where wisdom and good judgment come from. Wisdom and good judgment live in the Bible. Wisdom knows where to discover knowledge. And understanding. And you find out knowledge and it brings you witty inventions. That's just not that you build a better mousetrap. Although maybe you'll build a... My my latest witty invention is I want to sell yard signs. I got all my neighbors have Beto signs. One neighbor has two Beto signs. And every time I see the Beto signs, I'm thinking, my gosh, have you ever read what this guy believes? Let's legalize heroin. That'll help. (laughs) Anybody here in favor of legalizing heroin? Let's set up an injection site next to the Walmart that you shop at. So my witty invention is, vote Bible. Vote conservative. Vote Bible. Or something along those lines. And then sell a, a million of them and, uh, around America. Because they'll fit in any uh, one of 50 states. And Puerto Rico and all the U.S. territories. <laughs> and then uh, charge a buck for whatever and you know make a million bucks. Number three. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues, pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, uh, A person speaking in an unknown language, that heavenly language, the language of the Spirit, is not addressing the church because he is really addressing God. And those who overhear it don't understand because he is speaking in the Spirit the depths of the mysteries of the Lord. The mysteries of the Gospel. 
There's no natural way to comprehend praying in tongues, but God says when you do, you're speaking the mysteries of the gospel over your life, over any particular situation. Number four, listen for the voice of the Lord. He'll show you great things. Yeah? Listen. Hear, O Israel. Listen. Listen, grandson. And number five, change your language from negative to positive. Yeah? Yep. James says, your words are like a rudder on a ship. And they steer you into safe harbors or they steer you into stormy seas. How many of you want more blessing, more safe harbors, more of the the will of God? Amen. Well, that's why you're here. You're studying, learning, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and God's going to reward you for it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise.